Hello, my name is Chris Jones. I'm a poet and I teach creative writing at Sheffield Hallam University. Welcome to the Two Way Poetry Podcast, a bi-weekly series of programmes where I speak to poets about their own creative practice and inspirations. In each episode, I invite a writer to talk about a poem that has influenced his, her, their own writing. We discuss the work and, in return, my guest reads a poem they have written as a response, however overtly or indirectly connected to this original piece. In this show, I talk to the poet James Carruth about Anne Stevenson's poem North Sea off Carnoustie and how it played a part in the writing of his own piece, Coast Road, North Antrim. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Jim. Oh, it's a a pleasure, Chris. My first question is, when did you first come across Anne Stevenson's poem, North Sea off Carnoustie? I think this particular poem, I think it was one of those poems that was introduced at a writing day. Um, and I had read some Anne Stevenson's poetry, but not this particular poem. Uh, and there was just a, a, a couple of things in the poem that, that, that triggered things within myself as far as my own poem is concerned. Can you say a bit more about the writing day itself and what that entailed? Yeah, it, it was one of these typical writing days where they, they, they read poems and try to, try to give you triggers and then allow you to write something uh, from that. Um, I think what I was writing wasn't so much a direct response to the poem, but a response to certain lines within the poem, or even certain words within the poem. Right, okay, yeah, we'll we'll come on to that. Um, I mentioned this idea of writing days. Do you actually get a lot of poems out of writing days? Uh, Yes, I do, yeah, yeah. I, I get a lot of... I get a lot of writing out of writing days, which may eventually become poems, not all of them immediately, but they're kept there and they're reserved, if you like. Um, And I may go back to them uh, months later uh, and still find, again, maybe find just something within it which triggers something else in me. Do you write much outside of those writing days? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but they're useful for as a sort of kickstart, as a sort of intensive. They're they're useful, I think, in those periods which I think every poet goes through when when things get a bit dry and you think you're hitting a brick wall, Um, and it's just a different way of of making you look at things or or think about things. Um, And I think that's where the the value of a writing day comes in. Could you read North Sea off Carnoustie? Yes, I'll do that. North Sea off Carnoustie. You know it by the northern look of the shore, by salt-worried faces, an absence of trees, an abundance of lighthouses. It's a serious ocean. Along maram-scarred, sand-bitten margins, wired roofs straggle out to where a cold little holiday fair has floated in and pitched itself safely near the prairie of a golf course. Coloured lights have sunk deep into the solid wind, 
but all they've caught is a pair of lovers and three silly boys. Everyone else has a dog or a room to get to. The smells are of fish and of sewage and cut grass. Oyster catchers, doubtful of habitation, clamour, weep, 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 as they fuss over scummy black rocks the tide leaves for them. The sea is as near as we come to another world. But there in your stony and windswept garden, a blackbird is confirming the grip of the land. You, you, he murmurs, dark purple in his voice. And now in far quarters of the horizon, lighthouses are awake, sending messages, invitations to the landlocked, warnings to the inexperienced. But to anyone returning from the planet ocean, candles in the windows of a safe earth, Thank you very much for that. I suppose Stevenson primes us as readers in that first, in the first four lines of the poem about what she's, what she's going to talk about, uh, you know, and she, it's things that she comes back to through the poem. So it's almost an aside that she talked about lighthouses, but it's, the, but that becomes one of the central images in the poem later on. Yeah. And there's this idea of the ocean as well as the serious, the serious ocean. I mean, that's a kind of very kind of loaded, Adjective, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. But I, th- I think, I think there's a difference. But I mean, in this case, she's looking at the North Sea, but she she calls it an ocean. Yeah. And I think there is a difference between a sea and an ocean. I think if you go to the Atlantic coast, you you know you're you're at the edge of an ocean. Yeah, it, and the 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 eastern coast of eastern coast of Ireland, for instance, the landscape is totally different from that of the West, and it's down to the fact that the, the West has an ocean. Yeah. yeah. So why do you think she uses ocean rather than I think it works sea. better for her. It, <laughs> it does, you're right. It's, it's, a, it's a more profound statement, and it also, I think, sounds better as well, doesn't yeah. it? But, but she's also talking about the Northerner, and yeah. I think what she's recognised with the Northerner is that oceans have helped shape the Northerner. Yeah, I think yeah, the, the idea of the North is something again. I think we could come back to through through the podcasts because I think it's a really interesting kind of trope that she develops here, but also that you, that you talk about in your in your poems and, and particularly in 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 the, in the poem we're going to look at today. Um, what were the you said there were key kind of phrases that stood out for you uh, that that you kind of rhymed off really. Yeah, but I think you. I think you mentioned it, the, 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 the opening line, for instance. You, you know it by the northern look of the shore. And That's she's, a very. I thought that was a very Jim Carew kind of opening, really. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the way the way the way she, uh, it almost could have been one of your poems. That yeah, kind of, yeah, that and uh, and again the the last line in that stanza. It's a serious ocean, and I, th- I think this is what we were saying previously. It's, she's recognised that that she's recognised that it's it's the the fact that we're on an island, yeah. that we live on an island, and we can't get away from the sea. No matter how far inland we go, we still can't get away from the sea. She's talking about a definite divide between the land and the sea in this, isn't she? Yeah. I, I think there's this idea that, that 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 is where, that's the stance we take. We're at the edge of things. 
Um, and if if you're especially if you think about the West Coast, if you're looking out, the next landfall is America or Canada. But yeah. you, you can't see it and you never will see it. Yeah. But you know it's there. Yeah. But it also helps isolate you on that small piece of land that is the island that you're standing on. Yeah. That's really interesting, I think. But it is, she is writing about East Coast Scotland, isn't yeah. she? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting coast as well because it actually is south-facing. I looked on my map Yeah. Uh, after looking at the, after reading the poem. But do you think there's a kind of, she's kind of making a comparison between kind of the serious ocean and the more frivolous land, particularly with regards to human sort of habitation. And she talks about the, the holiday fair. In, is, is it quite dismissive or? I, I think that's another thing, which another set of lines, which, which intrigued me was, was those three lines. Uh, a cold little holiday fair has floated in and pitched itself safely near the prairie of a golf course. And I think if, if you, if you think of, the, of what I'm writing about, which is the Antrim Coast Road, we, it ends with, with the seaside resorts of Port Roche and Port Stewart, where you'll find these holiday fairs. Uh, and all along the way up, you, the various little seaside villages, which have their, their ferry lights and, yeah. uh, set up. But also that reminded me of, uh, of Heaney. Right. Okay. Uh, this poem Bogland, where he said, "We we have no we have no prairies to slice a big uh, sun at evening." Yeah. And I think maybe she had she had that in the back of her head because the golf course is a prairie, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's a kind of loaded term, I think, to call it a prairie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. there's a sort of definite. It's very tongue in cheek. It is, isn't it? <laughs> I think there's a definite kind of way in which she's almost taking humans out of the equation or the picture. So, for instance, it's the, the a cold little holiday fair has floated in yeah. and pitched itself. So there's no sort of, uh, as if there's no sort of human kind of coercion involved. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, there's only five humans really mentioned in it, which yeah. are the two lovers and the three silly boys. Yeah. Yeah. The, the rest are very general expressions of occupation. I wonder, you know, why then she has, why does she have the blackbird speaking? Because they kind of, they're, they, they're the voices in the, or oh, the blackbird and the, and the oyster catcher. They yeah. speak, don't they? They actually say words. Again, yeah. it's like yeah. the humans don't speak in this. It's the birds yeah. that speak. I mean, those three words that she uses for the oyster catcher, if, if you've heard an oyster catcher, that's so perfect that weep, weep, weep. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's only when I read that I thought, oh yeah, that that's exactly how it sounds. Yeah, well, I think she <laughs> she is she is very good at the senses in this poem. I think yeah. that's one of its strengths that I found that I actually how so deliberately she kind of almost goes through the senses, what she sees, what she smells, the sewage, for instance, and what she hears, and how she that makes it gives it a kind of three dimensional quality to the poem. Yeah, there's a suggestion too, I think, that really the landscape is owned by the wildlife rather than the the, uh, the human inhabitants. And and suddenly when I wrote them, the only um, character I've used is a Zen master. Yeah, <laughs> in the poem. of course, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's that idea. When you're driving those those roads, um, certainly when you're driving the North Antrim Coast Road, the, the hills and the mountains almost are pushing the road into the sea. 
Right, okay, you're, yeah. You're really, really on the edge, and you feel as if you're on the edge of things. Yeah. And even even the uh, even the villages like Cushendong and Cushendall are really at the bottom of the glens, and they're pushed almost into the sea. Do you think that get, gives the kind of the inhabitants their own kind of view of the world? Then. Oh yes, yeah. I think I think I think the landscape does dictate how people see the world. Um, especially, I mean, especially on a small island like Ireland. We're talking about a small island anyway. Yeah. But we're talking about Northern Ireland, which is a little bit that we've cut off for ourselves. Yeah. And separated even. Yeah. Which makes it even smaller. Yeah. And I think, I think that does, um, come out in, in the human, in human beings that live there. There, there is an insularity, which I think is very obvious. I mean, she did live in America for a long time, which which is huge sp- yeah. spaces, and now she's come to a place which is really, really constrained and constricted, if you like. And I think she sees that in the in the individuals around her when she, when she's been in Carnoustie. Yeah, yeah. I, I think she did live in Scotland for a while. So right. She, okay. Yeah. The other interesting thing about the poem is that you think it's a sort of to a general readership. So there isn't really an not she's not addressing it to anyone. No. But then there's there's a there's a bit in the poem where she talks about but there in your stony and windswept garden. Yeah. And that pricked my ears up because I thought, is there someone that she's actually addressing the poem yeah. to? Is yeah. there a person in the in the poem, yeah. do you think? Or does she mean just anyone's stony windswept garden? I that I can't tell you. I mean, it may even be herself, you know. If she yeah. lived in Scotland, she may be standing in her stony windswept garden when yeah. she's thinking about this poem. But yeah. That's interesting, yeah. I think that's one of the things that sort of surprised me about the poem, that I was thinking it was a sort of general, there's a sort of general discourse to it, but then there's a specific person in there as well. Yeah. Uh, and, that sort of anchors the, anchors the poem. And also, she references the wind, she talks about a windswept garden, but earlier she talks about sunk deep into the solid wind. And I think <laughs> if you've been to those places, probably nine months of the year, yeah. you're getting the wind. And the wind most likely is an Arctic wind. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do like solid wind. Yeah. Uh, it's very palpable, isn't it? Kind of presence. The, the wind is actually giving a, I mean, it is, a, it's a physical force, isn't it? You know, yeah. it kind of touches physically kind of, uh, shapes physically shapes the landscape world, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. I suppose my my own family, my my paternal grandparents were were country people. They came from Armagh and Tyrone, and um, they came to Belfast looking for work. But being country people, they would my, my grandfather would always read the weather from the wind, right? And he would tell you whether it was going to rain or whether there's a storm brewing or whatever. And it was from the wind, and that's just because that was natural for them. Yeah. So that's, I think that the wind is an important part <laughs> of those people's lives. You know, it's, it's not just something that they, they live amongst. It, yeah. It's actually a, a force that, that they can read. Yeah. Because, uh, yes, again, you talk about the idea of reading in your poem, which we'll come on to. Mm. They read the actual the weather, the clouds, don't they? Yeah. So, do you do you like this poem? I do like the poem. It, it it's it's not a favorite poem. So you know, or but I've heard people talk about touchstone poems, 
and, and I think it qualifies for me as a touchstone poem. There are bits in it which have touched me in some way. And especially that one line, the sea is as near as we come to another world. At the time I, I wrote, I, I read this poem, I had in my own head a line which I use in my poem, which is the edge of all we know. And that goes back to this, uh, this idea of being insular and of, of not being able to see beyond the coastline that we're standing on. We can see out to the horizon, but, but, but no further. Is that a limitation or does it actually mean that it gives us a character as such? Um, I, th I think it gives a character, but there's also the idea that there is something better out there, but it's a long way off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you think she, she, she moves the poem along or is, it, is she just kind of going in circle really? Is it, I mean, she said all she needs to say and then she repeats or is it a, or is it a poem that kind of moves moves on do you think yeah i mean personally I, I'm, I'm i'm not criticizing her poem anyway but to me it uh, i i think those last three lines are, are a bit superfluous i, I right. think to me the poem ends that that invitations to the landlocked right uh, that's interesting so you get your red pen out yeah yeah and you're in the workshop and you Kind of, yeah. Well, if, yeah, if, if I was looking at it from that point of view, but um. yeah, well, that's interesting. I think that's a kind of we do add, I think as poets reading, we do edit as we go along, don't yeah. we? Other people's we can do other yeah. people's work, yeah. Um, and I tend to find the best poems or the ones poems that are most engrossing, I don't, yeah, I, there's not a little voice inside my head going, I, I might have written that differently, or that line could have been <laughs> removed. Well, to, to me, um. A lot of a lot of the way I look at poetry is how it sounds on the ear. It's how I look at my own poems, but it's also how I look at other people's poems, um, and I think that's very important to me. Um, and and I know you, you you're completely different. And I, this idea about how people write has yeah. always intrigued me. Yeah. Um, and you, for instance, you you will you will look at a line and you will concentrate on that line until you are absolutely sure that that is the finished version of that line, and then move on. Yeah, even then I might come back to it. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's my Or I tend to, to put it down as a block Yeah, and then start chipping away at it Yeah, uh, with, with, with a little mental chisel. I wish I could write that, that other way as well. Well, I, I would say, yes, I wish I could write like you. <laughs> um, because I think the, the, the workshop poem, in a way, I find more difficult to write now. Which way you're you're uninhibited in the way, and you yeah. just write for like twenty minutes or yeah. half an hour, or whatever. Yeah, and I like I, I really like that kind of that that freedom. I yeah, think. but it, it's 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 what I said earlier. You end up with a with a block of words from from a workshop, and it may look on the page like a poem, but it's it's not a poem. It's just your first attempt. Yeah. So it's 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 that chunk of clay that you've got the mold. So yeah. you've got to go back to it again and again, and you may leave. I read something by Basil Bunting where he said, you, you must take a poem and then you must cut out every word that, that's, that's not working in that poem and then leave it for, for months and then go back and do it again and then do it again yeah. and do it again. <laughs> and I thought, actually, that, I suppose, is what poetry's like, isn't it? Yeah. I think because there's a, his poem Brig Flats, he talks about the stonemason, doesn't he? Yeah. Chisel, take a chisel to write. Yeah. I think that's what he's sort of, he's kind of aiming at there, really. Yeah. That idea of 
chipping away. One final question I want to ask you about this this poem, or this, or one final kind of thought in that how, how much I think it echoes Elizabeth Bishop. Yeah, well, I, her poem, I, her I think she was a, a great admirer of Elizabeth Bishop. Um, she may even have written something about Elizabeth Bishop, but it does, yes. It and I think that's why I feel I, I could say if I hadn't known the poet, I could if I'd read this poem, I would have thought that this po- poet didn't live in Carnoustie. That right. they've come from somewhere which is much bigger than Carnoustie. Yeah. Yeah, and then they have that that wide wide vision. Yeah. And I was thinking of um, there's Elizabeth Bishop poem, poem called "At the Sea Houses," and then the bite, yeah, which uh, has the line: "All the untidy activity continues, awful but cheerful." Yeah, and that's sort of that's there's a bit of that in yeah in this poem, I think. Yeah, well, if, if I go back to the Heaney poem, the I think it's Borgland. And and that opening line about the prairies, I mean, he he for certain has seen the sun go down over Derry and Donegal. There's some amazing sunsets up there. Yeah, and so his prairie is a his prairie is actually a bogland. Yeah, yeah, where it's sinking down behind yeah. behind the fields. Yeah, but that that's a particular. That particular view can only be because Heaney was brought up in that particular area. He, he didn't come there from America and settle down and see yeah. it. Yeah, and yeah. I think she's she's had a wider vision, and then has come to Carnoustie and has seen how people see things in Carnoustie and how they talk. And, yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. I think that's really that's a really good place to sort of leave that. And we're going to move on to your to your own poem now. So we look at Coast Road, North Antrim. Would you like to read it? Okay. Jim. It holds a narrow course between abrupt hills and the sea, where a cold sheen off the water tells us this is the north. Our ocean drive that skirts the island's rim, where a Zen master might sit to watch waves shatter, counting each iridescent fragment as an evening sun flares over Donegal. Somewhere out there, Rockall hides its face, a storm gathering before its luminous approach. Strings of fairy lights dance along deserted promenades in the small seaside towns, streets glinting with rain. This shore, the edge of all we know, Beyond the horizon we are strangers, guarding our small square of earth, faces to the wind, translating a language of clouds, the taste of a breeze. Cautious when the shorebirds up and leave, but trusting the ocean's persistence, safe in the consolation of a faith that each year grows closer to extinction. Thank you very much for that. I know you've said a bit about it already, but could you say a bit more about this part of Northern Ireland? Yeah, it it it's a road which begins just north of Belfast, to, uh, Larne, basically, and runs up the, the coast, uh, up through, as I said, the glens, um, to uh, Carrigaree and the Giant's Causeway, 
and then sort of finishes and peters out at uh, at Port Rush and Port Stewart, uh, which is on the edge of Derry, basically. So it runs up um, part of the uh, the RHC, and then the the top end of it is at the is the Atlantic. I, I, go on. So I I think I think the one thing about the about this poem and about um, the poem that Anne Stevenson wrote is certainly on the coast road. You have to stop along the way, and you have to get out and look. And if you if you just drive the coast road, it could be any road you're on. All right, you'll you'll notice this the the sea on one side of you and the mountains on the other side. But certainly, I can't think of anyone who would drive the coast road and not stop along the way, and and have a look. And have, is it a different experience looking from sort of a roadside? Car park or a roadside? Is there a, is there a, is that a different? I mean, if you look at it from Port Rush, for instance, would it be a different experience? From <laughs> yeah, the looking from yes, just parking yeah, the car. Yeah, the so- certainly, yeah. Uh, but but there are d- certain things along the way. You'll see Fur Head, which is a massive headland, uh, and then Cushion Dun and Cushion Doll are nursed in the bay, and then as I said, you go up. You've got Carrigaree where the rope bridges. Oh, the rope, of course, yeah, yeah the rope bridge, yeah, and. And the Giant's Causeway. I I think every time you every time you drive it and you stop and you you may stop in the same place that you've always stopped. You may stop somewhere different, but you'll see something different and you'll see it in a different light, if you like. Uh, And light is a a very important part to play there. Um, Is it a northern light? Yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for a large part of the year, there'll be um, rough seas, um, cloud, uh, pr- probably rain clouds coming in, storm. And I think because the mountains are very abruptly beside it, you get a lot of cloud shadow. Right. So that the, the, they change shape, the landscape changes shape. Uh, it is very north. I was looking at, again, the map and seeing how far, if you draw a line across from the north coast, it would it would hit high up in Scotland, wouldn't it? Or yeah, yeah. It's probably above Carnoustie, isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I think so. And, you know, yeah, and I think also you you look around and you think, well, how did these people survive? What made them settle here in the first place? And obviously, fishing is is, is one of the yes. Um, but it's sheep. If it, rather than cows, you yeah. see very little cows because the the pastures are, are very rough, um, and salmon fishing basically. So when you talk about Ocean Drive, yeah, <laughs> uh, and the Zen and the and the Zen Master, are you? How serious are we going to take you about? Yeah, to, well, to the the idea of Ocean Drive, I, I I can't remember where it was, but I was at a poetry event and I was talking to a girl at the poetry event who was from America. And when she found out I was from the North of Ireland, she told me she'd been there uh, and that she'd driven the, the, the coast road. And she said it reminded her of Ocean Drive. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, well, she must be on something very good <laughs> <laughs> if she thinks this is California. But, uh, but that's why. So there is a little bit of tongue in cheek in it. Yeah. But also it is our Ocean Drive. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah. I mean, it must be kind of a, a, a tremendous experience yeah. to drive that. And the Zen master really refers back to her five characters. 
and I only wanted one character. Right, okay. And I wanted him to be an esoteric okay. character, not, not, a, not yeah. a resident, but a... a Some, something otherworldly, perhaps. Someone who got out of his car to have a look. That's, that's a nice touch, yeah. There are other connections between uh, Stevenson's poem and your own in terms of the, the fairy lights that you mentioned. Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, that, was, that was, again, are you, you, how are you kind of seeing the fairy lights in relation to the, to the ocean? You know, are you making a comparison between one and the other? Yes, well, certainly. I mean, that the lights, fairy lights, have, and they are, a lot of these little towns have fairy lights along their promenade or, or along their main street. Um, and really, if you if you hit it at the wrong time of the year, if you're going up there and it's, there's a an Atlantic storm coming in the wind, and you see these little gaudy lights on a string along the uh, along the front of the uh, the main street, you know, swaying and 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 bobbing, um, it does make it a little bit grim. I mean, is your poem a winter poem then? Um, I don't. I don't think I had any conscious idea of which season it was. Right. Okay. I mean, it's it's a culmination of many times having driven up that way, in in, in both winter and and summer. Yeah, because it seems like Stevenson's poem feels out of season almost. Yeah. Yeah. It could that could be a winter. Yeah. Poem. Well, I think you remember these little towns, especially Port Rush and 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 Port Stewart. You remember them more in winter than you do in the summer because. It can be quite grim in the winter. Yeah. There, there will be, as I said, an Arctic wind blowing in. Yeah. Uh, and, and the streets are empty. Yeah. yeah. And the other word that I picked out that connects the two poems is horizon. Yeah. Uh, you've talked briefly about that already. Could you say something about that, that connection? Uh, horizon appears in a lot of my poetry. And it, it's that limit that you, of your vision. And it's a fact that you can stand somewhere and know that if... If you left from this point and went straight out there, eventually you, the first land you'll head would be America or, or Canada. Uh, but you'll never see that. It's so far away. And it's the idea of, of a way out in Ireland. Having grown up in the north and especially grown up during the time of the Troubles, um, a lot of us were looking for a way out, a door. And many times I'd, I'll, refer to, I'll refer to Belfast Lock as being a door out. It was the way we could leave. Yeah. Um, but it's also a way you return mm. as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the, the, this idea of the horizon is the line you can't see beyond. So do you think returning is an important kind of it more so feature now, of your yeah, life? Yeah, my poems. I mean, early poems, I think, were all about leaving. Um. Poems now, I think, are about returning. The, the point is, when I return now, and I've, I've started to go back to Ireland um, a lot more often than I have done over, over the past 20 years. Um, but every time I go back, I find it so changed that it's getting to the point now where it's a country I don't recognise. Yeah. I can go to Belfast now and get lost in Belfast. Yeah. Because the roads have changed or the traffic systems have changed or the built new roads. Um, so mm. there is that idea of returning, um, but or the idea that the 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 picture I have of Ireland um, is a picture that's now past. Is is that how the poem ends? Because it's this idea of the the we 
I'll read it through again. This sure the edge of all we know. Yeah. So I come to decide. I was thinking about who who do you mean by we? Is it the people that are are disappearing? Is it the is it the kind of the an old idea of Northern Ireland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I think it shares both. It's there is the idea of that 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 place has now disappeared. It's it's a new it's a new place. But there's also the idea that even for the people living there now, it's changing. It's constantly changing. And the reference to the old faith, I mean, that can be, it can be the Catholic faith or it can be the Presbyterian faith, whichever yeah. side of the, of the divide that you're, that you're thinking about. But that is also being challenged. Yeah. And so you, so you say safe in the consolation of a faith that each year grows closer to extinction. Yeah. Is that a, is that a good thing you think? Well, I think it's a good thing. Uh, that's, that's a very personal idea, I suppose, but. I think the power of those, uh, of the power we had with religion, the power of the churches, um, is now being challenged and is now being tested. Uh, um, I mean, they still haven't got it right, but at least there's a chance of thinking about um, progress in a different way, that it's not constrained. And uh, which, I mean, the idea of living on an island is constrained anyway. We are constrained, and yeah. especially a small island. Yeah, and especially a small island that we make even smaller. So I mean, that's I mean, you know, I think that's really interesting how you end the poem on this idea of of change, yeah. of things changing, the diminution of certain powers or kind of human kind of constructs like yeah. the idea of religion. But then there's this other kind of outwardly looking kind of vision that you have in the poem that but someone is looking out. Beyond the horizon, the, so, the the idea of of stance has always intrigued me in poetry, um, and I think a lot of Irish poets, if you look at it, they their their view is always from the inside out. Yeah, they're they're standing on the shore, looking out at the horizon. Yeah, but there are other poets. I mean, I, I'm very fond of, of the poetry of Evan Boland, mm. and Evan Boland. The first thing she'll do is she'll show you where she's standing. Yeah. So it'll be in a kitchen or in a garden or on a street or on a bridge. But you know from where at the very beginning of her poems generally where her viewpoint's coming from. Yeah. And and, and that intrigues me. Mm. If you read Derek Mann's poems, he, he's more from an outside in. He he travelled and he, he he I remember when I went to college in Liverpool, um one of my lecturers was a nun from Belfast. And we, we spoke about, it was at the time, it was in the 70s, so it was the yeah. middle of the troubles. And we, we spoke for a lot, for hours talking about the North and how, how we could do something to change it. And she said, you must get away from it and look back in. That's the only way you'll begin to understand what the situation. And that was the best bit of advice I ever had. Yeah, I think that that's right. The insularity comes from being inside looking out. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this two perspectives in this poem. Yeah. So there's someone looking in, but and people looking out as well. Yeah. That you've caught really well, I think. And you mentioned Rockall. Why do you mention Rockall? This is because it's it's a bare rock, and <laughs> it's in, contested as well, isn't it? Yeah, in the middle of it, it is. Yeah, it's contested for 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 why? <laughs> is it to do? I think it's to do with. The the riches are in the sea around it. Yeah, 
it's but it is contested rock, isn't it? But it is that it's it's that sort of last outpost. And I suppose if if we continue with this insularity, we're, we're eventually going to end up on a little tiny rock somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I feel that uh, that it's it's a poem that speaks to 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 me now about about England and. And, and where we stand and where, where we're looking to at the moment yeah, as a country, yeah. you know, kind of. I mean, so somebody said to me once, you'll never get lost in England because eventually you'll reach the sea if you, if you, whichever way you drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, well, the thing about living in Sheffield is that it's it's two hours or two or three hours away from yeah. lots of different seaside towns lots of yeah. seaside experiences which is what i said no matter how far you travel inland you, you're never away from the sea yeah on an island do you, do you miss the sea then or I, I i i do um i remember when i left belfast originally to go to south africa and i went to cape town uh, for five years and then i came back to sheffield and that was the first time we hadn't lived with mountains and sea and I found it very difficult at the beginning, but then I, I, I gradually got used to it. And as you say, it's not very far away to reach the sea no. if you want to go there. But it was it was a shock at the beginning that, that I, I didn't have that familiarity of the sea close at hand. A, a, a final question about the book itself and how you've organised it. Is there a kind of overall organising principle to it in terms of how you created a sort of narrative through um, these, through these individual poems yeah. into a kind of long sequence spe in speechless age. Yeah. I, I think it, it um, it's sort of semi-subconscious, if you like. I, I think it's because um, I'm getting to a certain age. I'm 70 in my next birthday. Um, and we, both my wife and myself have quite large families at home and they were of a certain age and there's been lots of, of deaths, especially over the period of the COVID thing. And I suppose I'm beginning to come to terms with that. So it, I think it might move in, in, a, in some sort of seasonal way. Um, and if that was unintended, I'm quite happy with that. Uh, if it was intended, then it... Uh, I'll take the credit for it. <laughs> this poem is near the end of the book, isn't it? Yeah. Um, end of the collection. Yeah. And there's quite a few that seem to be looking at, at the sea at the, yeah. the end. Yeah. I don't know whether that's... Well, that, it's looking at that horizon. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that horizon is, is our limit, but we can't go beyond that. Whether we ever will go beyond that. Yeah. Is... Thank you very much, Jim, for... for Going today to talk about James Carruth was born in Belfast, but has lived in Sheffield for the last 33 years. His first collection, A Stone's Throw, was published by Staple in 2007. Dark Peak, a long sequence, appeared from Long Barrow Press in 2008 followed by Marking the Lambs in 2010 and Death of Narrative in 2014, both published by Smith Doorstop. His last pamphlet, Narrow Water, was published by Poetry Salzburg in 2017. 
his full-length collection, Speechless at Inch, which was published by Smith Doorstop in 2021, was shortlisted for the Derek Walcott Poetry Prize. To find out more about Jim's work and explore this and other podcasts in the series, go to the website twowaypoetry.podbean.com or my website chris-jones.org.uk You can also follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Chris, or on Blue Sky at cwjoneschris.bsky.social for more updates on future episodes. The theme tune was written by William Jones.